0: David Fiorazzo.
1: I will do whatever I can to make it known to the world that your once free and liberal democracy has been transformed into a totalitarian regime which tramples on human rights, civil liberties, and the rule of law. I'm imploring all of you around the world who still think your governments are looking out for your best interests. At no point in history have the people forcing others into compliance been the good guys. The welfare of humanity has always been the alibi of tyrants. Do you not realize that this vaccine does not protect you from COVID? It does, however, protect you from governmental oppression. For now, that is. But don't think for even a second that this is not going to change tomorrow. I'm a German and we once asked our grandparents how they could have just stood by in silence allowing a horrific totalitarian regime to come about. Anyone could have known. All I had to do was open their eyes and take a look. The vast majority chose not to. What will you tell your grandchildren? Will you tell them you didn't know? Will you tell them you were just following orders? You need to understand it isn't about breaking the fourth wave. It is all about breaking people. So I stand in support with your fight for freedom and democracy. We need to stop our governments from transforming our free and democratic societies into totalitarian regimes. We need to do it now. We need to Stand up now.
2: And welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. As you know, we are going to get into this topic today, a very powerful words from Christine Anderson of the European Union Parliament. And uh, we're going to have Dr. Andy Woods join us in a minute. Um, we're just going to go through some of the things she shared, and we are going to look at that and go, is this really happening? Are we going to evaluate the, the, the severity, the, the, really the place that we are at in our country and around the world now. Um, but it's very important uh, to talk about these things. And friends, it's, uh, you know, this is not one of the most cheery subjects, but this is what's happening around the world and more people are waking up. Is there still time? Yes. So we need to be about God's business and uh, reconciling the world uh, like Christ. That's our mission in Christ. Um, be ministers of reconciliation. So I do want to say, I'm looking at. The podcast downloads for the last week, and I haven't seen these numbers in my time hosting this show, so I thank you again for sharing the podcast. I don't know how else it's getting out there than you sharing it, word of mouth, so thank you for listening online, uh, thank you for streaming, and thank you for sharing the podcast. Father in heaven, we want to acknowledge you as sovereign overall, and we recognize you Evil will not sleep, and we know that there's a spiritual battle underlying everything that we see, and that's going on in the heavenly realms. And there are forces of darkness, both human and demonic, that we have to be aware of. Um, Father, help wake up your church. Please revive us, awaken your people, the true remnant of Bible-believing Christians, and give us wisdom and help us know how to... Not only understand what's going on and discern, but how to respond and yet be that salt and light that we need to be. We ask for your protection over our families that are listening, over our our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they are across the country, tuning in right now and listening to the podcast. We pray for your provision on their lives, and we also ask that you would help them be effective ministers of reconciliation. May your words be on our mouth, in our hearts, and on our mouths, and we uh, ask that you'd be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, uh, we're blessed to have Pastor Andy Woods back with us, teacher at Sugarland Bible Church in Texas, and he's got a new book out, Babylon, The Book Ends of Prophetic History, which we talked a little bit about last time he was on. He's president of Schaefer Theological Seminary. He joins us again today. Andy, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth, brother.
3: Uh, Dave, uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Well, let's go right to the words of Christine Anderson, which you covered in part in uh, your recent pastor's point of view. Um, sobering words for sure, but thank God there are people like this who are speaking out. She says, I will do whatever I can to make it known to the world that your once free and liberal democracy, not in the modern sense of liberalism, <laughs> liberal democracy has been transformed into a totalitarian Regime, which tramples on human rights, civil liberties, and the rule of law. So, Andy, your thoughts very important, and I'm glad you covered it in uh, your recent pastor's point of view.
3: Yeah, actually, um, David, we did uh, two a two parter, <laughs> and uh, the part where I cover this is going to be released um, this Friday. But you know. It's just stunning what's happening around the world. I don't know if we as Americans really have taken stock of everything, Mm -hmm. but basically, what she's doing here in that soundbite that you played, you know, Christine Anderson of the EU Parliament, is she was basically responding to Australia. Mm -hmm. And there was a leader in Australia that sent out a similar video called, you know, an SOS. You know which we know stands for save our ship <laughs> and basically sounding the alarm that australia once a liberal democracy has now turned into a totalitarian you know regime so to speak uh, post-covid and she says the exact same things happening here in europe and uh, when you go up to our northern border canada you say this you see the same kind of thing happening and so these are not communist countries where this is happening. These are not Islamic countries where this is happening. These are people in uh, Western-style liberal democracies basically trying to alert the rest of the world of the frightening um, post-COVID totalitarian nature uh, of, of the, the character of their current countries.
2: Mm. Yeah. What, what also was fascinating is she... Um Very relevant in light of world history, uh, when she said, I am a German, and we once asked our grandparents, referring to the Holocaust, how they could have just stood by in silence, allowing a horrific totalitarian regime to come about. And she also goes on, anyone could have known. All they had to do was open their eyes and take a look but the vast majority chose not to. What will you tell your grandchildren about today? What will you tell them you did not know? What will you tell, will you tell them you were just following orders? Um, Andy, do you think America has passed that dangerous place of compliance?
3: Well, it doesn't seem to me that we're there yet. and i think the reason they're sending out these these different leaders you know sos and warnings is they look at america as you know sort of the last stop in other words if totalitarianism takes root here then there's really no hope for the rest of the world and they're basically looking to america you know and the american citizens in particular to push back and the fact that they're sending these messages out You know, at least in their mind, America hasn't, you know, crossed the point of no return. I know in my, you know, home state of Texas, um, you know, there's been some restrictions, but not nearly what we're seeing in blue states and not nearly what we're seeing worldwide. And so freedom, for whatever reason, is still alive here. And um, we just have to be aware of what's happening around the world. Because if we don't become aware, then what's happening around the world will eventually, you know, find its way to our shores.
2: I just want to emphasize that, that sentence, that, that question she asked. To everyone listening, you know people who are just going along because they want to avoid whatever it is, inconvenience or the pain or losing the jo- a, a job. Will you tell your grandchildren you were just following orders. Andy, we had Kevin Sorbo on yesterday. Mm. He lived in California under uh, Governor uh, Newsom, Gavin Newsom, or Emperor Newsom as some referred to him as, and now he's in Florida living under Ron DeSantis. So he says he's blessed to have one of the best governors in America, and he made the comparison. And so here we are in the United States of America, and we've got separate coasts, separate, you know, we've got a blue state, red state, and completely different uh, you know worldview policies, uh, would you care to comment on that and how we might see more of that across the country?
3: Well, you know, for a long time, people have told us that politics doesn't matter. <laughs> well, here's an example where it does matter. <laughs> um, I mean you have different completely different conditions in California, you know than you do in Florida, you know, different coasts, just based on you know the political philosophy of the Governor in both states, and so um you know i I guess I'd prefer to call us the divided states of America yes you know we've seen this red blue issue you know for a long time, but now with covid it's really come to the forefront i mean do does your governor believe as a matter of of political philosophy in individual liberty or not? Hmm. In California, the answer to a large extent is no, the government knows better. And Florida wants to be concerned about the virus, but they don't want to come up with a political solution that tramples on individual liberty. So to me, the defining issue of our day is limited government. And before I vote for anybody, for any office, I want to know if they believe in limited government because apparently some people don't believe in it, the government can do whatever it wants. And uh, to me, that's the defining issue. Are you in favor of limited government, as expressed in our Constitution and the writings of our founding fathers, or not?
2: Yeah, what you just said is is very fascinating, Andy, that there are some people uh, that don't believe in limited government. I mean, that, that's the whole reason the Constitution it continues to protect—well, hopefully continues— to protect we the people from government, not government from the people. And wow, we, we, we're just uh, really because we haven't taught true history in part in our public schools and, and we've let the government grow beyond um, restraint right now to, to many degrees. We're in this situation where a lot of people are relying on government and uh, there's a lot of concerns when we reach that point, isn't there?
3: Yeah, when you listen to politicians speak and you listen to speeches or debates, it mostly comes down to, you know, what can the government do for you? And everybody, you know, tries to outdo their opponent by offering the people more and more and more. And I guess what people don't understand is a a government that's big enough to give you everything you want is also big enough to take it all away. And I think that's a famous line from either... Uh, Gerald Ford or Ronald Reagan. And almost nobody runs today on limited government. And I'm looking for the candidate that wants to get up and articulate, here's what the role of government is, and here's what the the role of government is not. And we believe in certain limitations that we're not going to, you know, traverse. And that kind of person would be Totally in line with America's founding fathers because Mm -hmm. if the United States Constitution stands for anything, it stands for limited government. And, you know, the last time I checked, there are only about 20 things that the federal government is supposed to do, (laughs) everything else is supposed to be left to the states or to, you know, the individual citizen. And, of course, today it's the opposite. You know, it's what I like to call Fedzilla, where the federal government does virtually everything. But the more you allow it to do, the more the citizen shrinks. And so we need people today, you know, running for office that have a clear vision of limited government.
2: <sighs> My goodness. Um, we need to go on to other topics. And uh, this is so important, though, uh, and I want it to be what we started from today. Uh, something that she said, I want to get your response to um, at the very end of that audio clip that we played. She said, you need to understand it is not, this is not about breaking the fourth wave. It is about breaking people. And we need to stop our governments from transforming our societies into totalitarian regimes. And we still have People, a majority of Americans, I would say, give others the benefit of the doubt, and that government is is no different. They want to give governments the benefit of the doubt, thinking they are always working or acting in the best interests of the people. But it's this is so obvious to many of us that governments are not acting in the best interests of the people, but power elites are calling the shots, and those who would want to do everything from uh, limit the population to tout climate change to for, you know, weaken America to uh, force the New World Order? Your thoughts?
3: Well, you know, does the sin nature somehow stop with government officials? I mean, obviously <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, depravity affects all of us, and Lord Acton, I think it's a statement that's attributed to him, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when you read uh, the Federalist Papers, and I think it's number 51, I believe it's, if I remember right, James Madison, he makes the point there that what is government but the greatest of reflections of human nature? He says if men were angels, you know, no government would be necessary. (laughs) But here is the greatest problem that we have, you know, I'm paraphrasing, it's a government to be administered by men over men. So you have to give it enough control to keep the sinful population you know, in check from, you know, from preventing you know, mob violence and that kind of thing. But Madison said you also have to allow it to control itself. And so our Founding Fathers' answer to that great problem was divided government and limited government, and we have you know, unalienable rights in our Declaration of Independence, which are certain areas that the government can't cross into. And so that was the answer to a, by America's Founding Fathers to this problem of the sin nature, because the sin nature affects all of us. I mean, that's pure Bible. This is why we all need Jesus, and that includes the people running the government. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not angels any more than I am, and so... <laughs> If that's true, then we need we desperately need divided government, limited government, checks and balances, mm-hmm. and government works best when power is decentralized. I would actually argue that most organizations work best yes. when power is decentralized, because once it gets centralized, you've got kind of a situation there of Nimrod at the Tower of Babel, you know, who took his power and, and was to abuse it. And that's why God, you know, confounded the language and put put into place nations, which is a built-in check-and-balance system. Mm-hmm. So the whole, you know, limited government makes sense if you understand biblical depravity. But if we believe, you know, as modern-day psychology teaches or humanism teaches, that man is inherently good, mm-hmm. then divided government doesn't make any sense.
2: That's a fascinating point in and of itself, because a lot of... <laughs> I wouldn't say Christians, but a lot of Americans have this idea that, oh, that person is such a good good person or he's got a, such a good heart. And whenever you hear someone say that, I know the intent. Typically, that person is loving or compassionate or does good things for other people. But when you talk about a good heart, right, you think about yeah. the, the Jeremiah 17, 9, I believe, that says the heart of man is evil or another translation says wicked and beyond cure. And that is such a distinction in the biblical worldview from other worldviews, in that the heart of man—you know, they say the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, the heart of man is the root of much evil, isn't it?
3: Sure. I mean, if we were such great people, um, why did Jesus have to die on a cross for us? Mm. I mean, there's obviously something really wrong with us, or else the whole ordeal of the cross you know, wouldn't have been necessary and what people need to understand and if you read federalist number 51 you know you'll see it very clearly that america's founding fathers believed in depravity and they believed it had a, a negative influence on the people running the government and on the people under the government and that's the whole logic of divided government checks and balances limited government and almost nobody that i can find in modern times Ronald Reagan being an exception, you know, runs for office on this idea of limited government. It's always how they can make the government bigger, you know, and give you more and more and more. And as we like to say when government grows, you know, the citizen shrinks. They they can't give you anything unless they take it from you first. And so, we've got to get back to limited government and biblical depravity and understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Or else our days are numbered as a republic.
2: Yes. Amen. Uh, We've got to take a break, but before we do, Andy, um, where can people get the pastor's point of view? Is the best place on your YouTube?
3: Yeah, my YouTube channel. um, We're also, you know, wherever they get their podcasts, just put my name into the podcast search engine. Okay,
2: great. Andy Woods is with us. has some great books at andywoodsministries.org going to check those out. Coming up, the COVID microchip developer says there's no stopping the rollout, plus more headlines on Stand Up for the Truth.
0: Your monthly financial support of standupforthetruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up for the Truth with David Fiorazzo.
2: Over at andywoodsministries.org, there's a page where you can check out some of his books including The Falling Away. Ever Reforming, The Coming Kingdom, which is a phenomenal book, how kingdom now theology is changing the focus of the church a little bit or has in some ways have impacted evangelical Christianity. And also The Middle East Meltdown, very short but powerful packed book about the coming Islamic invasion of Israel. But uh, Dr. Andy Woods, let's go on to the next topic, and I teased this before we took a break, that the COVID microchip developer says there's no stopping the rollout. You, and so whether we like it or not, right, can you share with us what you know from this story?
3: Well, you know, it just has to do with the technology. And essentially, you know, what they're doing is they're marrying um, COVID-19 vaccination status with a some kind of a vaccine passport and of course they want to put that passport under your skin they want to put that passport in your body Mm -hmm. and um you know the technology to do this as i understand it has been available for some time but now they've got the opportunity to with this so-called virus and they're not gonna you know let the foot off the gas pedal (laughs) they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna keep the, the pedal to the metal so to speak, and they're basically acknowledging that whether people like it or not, um, this marriage between vaccination status and microchip technology is coming. They're they're presenting it, at least according to this article, as something that is virtually inevitable. And people can dissent all they want, but here it comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's uh, you know mm-hmm. that's why I found this Swedish startup tech company. Um, and what the CEO was saying, you know, very interesting.
2: Well, what's fascinating, I think it was last year, it may have been two years ago, but I think it was last year, early last year, where there were companies in the, across the country in different places, but one of them was in Wisconsin that yeah. um, it's, I guess, the employees or some of the employees took it, they voluntarily put a, a, some sort of scanner or a chip or something in their hand in order to, to, I don't know what they had to do with security, get through the security at their work or, or other things. And I'm going, wow, Um, we know we've talked about this. I'm sure you have in depth that this is not the mark of the beast, but a lot of people still put it out there as being one and the same, but it is definitely not. Can you just clarify that point, Andy?
3: Yeah. Uh, Well, real quick, that, that company you're talking about in Wisconsin, you know, I remember reporting on that. That Mm -hmm. was pre COVID. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that was people doing it just because it was convenient, you know, <laughs> convenient. to get in and out of work. And, <laughs> and it's like, now that we're post-COVID or into COVID, you can see how the whole thing, you know, is ramped up. But, yes, yeah, of course, we, we don't believe this is the mark of the beast. I get a lot of emails from people saying, you know, if I get the jab or I get a chip, does that mean I'm going to, to hell? And the answer uh-huh. is No because we don't have the beast yet you can't have the mark of the beast system until you have the beast and basically my understanding is the the mark of the beast system that's described in revelation 13 is not really even something that's up and running until the second half of the tribulation and when that system is rolled out people that you know uh, get involved in it are making a volitional decision to reject Jesus Christ And that's why the penalty for taking the mark of the beast in that time period, you know, is so severe, as described in Revelation 14, verses 9 through 12. Mm -hmm. However, having said all that, I do very aggressively believe in prophetic stage setting. I don't think a system like that can just come into existence, you know, ex nihilo, you know, something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. I think the stage has to be set, and humanity has to be... Psychologically prepared, and all of these things that we're seeing now with these uh, this marriage of vaccination status with microchip technology, to, to to my mind, are are not moving us further away from the system, but moving us more in the direction of the system. I mean, when you think about it, you can't buy or sell without receiving a mark, I mean, isn't that what everybody's arguing here with the vaccination Mm -hmm. status? You can't go into a restaurant without the right status. You can't shop for groceries. Uh, Even Fauci is, you know, on record saying we need to shut down, you know, international, excuse me, domestic travel for those that don't have the proper paperwork. And so you can see how the world is yes. moving directly in the direction that God said it would as we get closer to the end times.
2: Just when you said that, hearing those words, Pastor Andy Woods, you don't have the proper papers. Yeah. You, you don't have the proper paperwork to move about the country to travel. That is just—I just, just got a chill when you said that, because we're, we're, most of us, many of us, are forgetting world history um, but let's, let's we're almost halfway through the podcast already, and we've got several other topics to tackle here. Um, this this another one you covered in your Pastor's Point of View. By the way, we link to your Pastor's Point of View. You've got a great Rumble uh, channel with your videos there, so you can check out uh, Andy Woods and Pastor's Point of View on Rumble. Um, we also want to direct you, of course, to our 200 resources you can trust at StandUpForTheTruth.com, upper left-hand corner of the website so over at the college fix this is nonstop. now it seems like they're emboldened and they're saying whatever is on their mind and th- they're saying what they've been thinking and implementing for years is what's happening right Andy a teacher tells a parent to back off because they wouldn't dare tell a surgeon how to do their job basically so let me just start this quote and you can take it wherever you want Andy and mm-hmm. this story uh, this teacher in Michigan said part of the problem is that parents think they have the right to control teaching and learning because their children are the ones being educated and I'm going wow I can go back to the Old Testament and how uh, the, yeah. you know God told the children of Israel to raise up their children on the word you know and so go ahead and just share how this is really actually sobering that this is happening to in Teachers are saying this, and this is their attitude across the country.
3: Well, you know, there is no greater right and responsibility that you have as a parent than to transmit your values from one generation to the next. In fact, when you read Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and (laughs) Mm 7, you know, that's what God expects. Um, That's the Hebrew Shema, which means listen, listen. But it says there, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall diligently, te- uh, you shall di- teach them diligently to your sons and daughters, and then you talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. So that's that's the normal process that's to take place. And what you have with modern day compulsory education is this idea that you know the establishment the educrats basically say um that right is no longer yours as a parent Uh, that right is no longer yours any more than you have a right to tell a brain surgeon how to conduct surgery and so this mindset has been in play for a long time Um, you see this all the way back in 1930 with a quote from charles francis potter where he says education is thus a powerful ally of humanism and every public school is a school of humanism. What can the theistic Sunday school teachers meeting for once a week um, do teaching only a fraction of the children due to stem the tide of a five-day program of humanistic teaching? Close quote. So all the way back in 1930, a humanist Charles Francis Potter says we're going to take over the school system. Wow. We're going to use compulsory education to teach your children a value system that's different than your own, and this is how we're going to, you know, get control of the country. And lo and behold they've they went out and did it. <clears throat> it's just now they're they're so successful at it and there's almost no way to stop it that you have teachers, you know, finally with enough uh, intellectual honesty to come out, as this college fix article tells us, to come out and articulate, this is what we're doing. And of course, the Virginia governor who lost the race recently, um, came out and said the exact same thing. And so, you know, if this isn't totalitarianism, i don't I don't know what is. I mean, you know, you know, you're into totalitarianism when the government wants to take your kids away from you and teach them a value system that's different than your own, mm-hmm. and questions your right to question what they're doing. And so, welcome to you know the brave new world that we're living in.
2: So, uh, her analogy, uh, how is it? How is it not like she says uh, it's sort of like entering a surgical unit, thinking you can interfere with an operation simply because the patient is your child. And unless they're licensed and certified, parents aren't qualified to make decisions about curricula. And so this, we have to emphasize the fact that, as surprising maybe as it is that they're saying this out loud now, this has been happening, as you said, for almost 100 years, almost. And that this attitude, this philosophy of, uh, we are going to change the world or change the country by changing how kids, what kids are taught, and how they are educated. Um, I don't think we can emphasize that enough, Andy.
3: Yeah, and you know, here's a quote from Charles Pierce, a Harvard psychiatrist, speaking as an expert in public education um, to an international education seminar all the way back in 1973. He says, "Quote: Every child." Um, in America, entering school at the age of five, now, let me just interrupt there they They want to push that age down further and get the kids you know earlier than yep. five. but yep. he basically says every child is mentally ill because he comes to school with certain allegiances to our founding fathers, towards our elected officials, towards his parents, towards belief. "...in a supernatural being and towards the sovereignty of this nation as a separate entity, it's up to you as teachers to make these six children well by creating the international child of the future." Mm -hmm. So that's 1973. These kids are sick because they love Jesus, they love Mom and Dad, and they love George Washington and you know, get out there in public education and, and, and fix them, is basically what he's saying. And um, they're kind of tr- teaching uh, this Gnosticism that they went through the teachers' colleges, and so they know better. If you get into some of the work of Martin Gross, who was writing on this stuff, I remember back in the 1990s, he's got several books out on this where he talks about these teachers colleges are a joke and these doctorates of education you know are a joke they're just a uh, kind of a diploma mill put in place so you can call someone a doctor you know a doctor in education and he talks about how to get a doctorate in education doesn't involve the um... rigor that you have to go through to get a doctorate in another discipline you know, I have a PhD, you have a foreign language requirements, you have coursework, you have to defend a, a doctoral dissertation, and gross says none of these things are present in e you know, education doctorate degrees. And so it's just a way to to give someone the title doctor, where once they get doctor in front of their name, it's like we're the experts, we're the brain surgeons, um, we're the higher uh we've got the higher knowledge, we're the Gnostics You know, don't question what we're doing. Hmm. And so the whole thing is really out of the playbook, you know, going back to 1930 and probably earlier than that.
2: So we've seen a push, it seems to me, Andy, since, let's see, what what, what year is this? 2022. Yeah. More than 12 years now um, in the Obama administration. There's definitely a push to uh, almost um, frame religious Americans— as either extreme or out of touch, out of touch with reality, or um, in some cases now they're using January 6th to frame uh, a lot of people, half the country, freedom-loving Americans as domestic terrorists or, or as dangerous. This is what many, some, not many, but some in our government are doing. And your thoughts, I know you, you talked a little bit about the, a January 6th prisoner held for 11 months for thought crimes. Would you like to just just touch on this and how the ground had to be prepared in order to get to this place where they can actually do something like that?
3: Well, sure. I mean, the whole name of the game is when you can't, you know, answer an argument, you just censor the opposition, mm-hmm. or you act like the opposition is mentally ill. Um, you know, of course, these are Stalinistic tactics but whenever they put phobia you know after a name you know you, you know for example you're homophobic they say i mean what is the etymology of that word phobia is an irrational illogical fear that doesn't coincide with science that's why they keep saying trust the science and basically when they call you whatever phobic they're basically making the argument that you're mentally ill And that moves into, you know, you're some sort of extremist. And so you need to be sort of isolated from society. Or in the case of some of these January 6th protesters, you need to be jailed. And you just need to be kept out of the way, you know, because we have our agenda and we know better. And so that very tragically, as you point out, is the direction things seem to be headed in here in the United States. So,
2: um... Before we open up a new topic, um, because we've just got a minute and a half left, I just want to share with people just some of the things we're going to be talking about in the next uh, segment. I think um, very important subjects. So, in fact, by the way, one of I just went over to the Epic Times and some really interesting articles over there. Um, a federal agency is compiling a list of employees who seek religious exemptions from COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Mm. So they're making a list, uh, the feds, our own government. And there are a couple other articles that I won't mention now. But in your pastor's point of view, you talked about Pope Francis recently in Athens, Greece. Some comments he made. um, I haven't heard this word a lot, Andy. We're going to talk about it in a minute. We come back multilateralism. Um, I've heard of multiculturalism, but this is an interesting thought. He's promoting climate change, of course, but he's against nationalism, uh, which is interesting. So we're also going to talk about uh, how 10 countries simulate cyber attack on global financial system. And uh, if we have time, a couple others, including warships ordered to stay in the Mediterranean because uh, Ukraine and Russia are having some tensions there. Uh, We'll we'll get to whatever we can with Pastor Andy Woods when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. And uh, plus, we'll let you know we've got a couple special guests next week. Uh, In fact, we'll we'll do that at the end of the hour. But we'll be right back with Pastor Andy Woods. You can get more information on him, andywoodsministries.org.
0: Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo.
2: Pastor Andy Woods, let's talk about the Pope, because uh, I think the last time we had you on the podcast, um, we talked about the, the religious aspect of the New World Order, and uh, here's the Pope over in Athens, Greece, uh, appealing for multilateralism, migrant reception, and combating climate change. And would you—and by the way, he says that will not end up being stifled by excessive nationalistic demands. Would you please explain what multilateralism is in this context?
3: Right. Well, I believe voices like this, like from the Pope, are the religious side of the New World Order because the New World Order has— at least three parts: a political, then an economic, then a religious angle. And so it's very interesting to see how, you know, the Pope in a lot of his spiritual—and I put spiritual in quotes—a lot of his <laughs> spiritual, you know, declarations are really um, what the 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 communists, Marxist, socialists have been saying. He's just kind of dressing it up in um, you know spiritual garments, but. And, and you just look for the buzzwords. Yeah. You know the buzz. A key buzzword is multilateralism. Um, multilateralism is basically the idea that a nation cannot act on her own in terms of you know putting our troops into harm's way without getting the world's permission first. Wow. And multilateralism is what George Bush, the prior, the, the Bush the younger. Uh, the problem he ran into with the United Nations, where he actually went to the United Nations and wanted to get their involvement and they, they wouldn't cooperate. And so he basically made a unilateral decision. He got some other nations to join him, but he made a unilateral decision. And he was basically despised for that because he was violating a creed that you've got to get the world's Permission, you know, before you take any major action in terms of a war or sending troops into harm's way. So multilateralism is in and unilateralism is out. And that's why they hate all the talk about, you know, American exceptionalism and things like that. And it's really what that quote I read a little earlier from Pierce, the Uh psychologist, is about, where he says, creating the international child of the future. That's a child that doesn't think in patriotic terms or in American terms, but thinks in global terms, and that, to my understanding, is the best definition of multilateralism. And here, that word comes right out of the, mope, uh, the, the mouth of the, the Pope, you know, in, in one of his recent speeches.
2: So, some other comments in that speech that you quoted in your uh, pastor's point of view. I think it was the week of the first week in January, uh, dated one seven. 2022. um, He says excessive nationalistic demands. Who could he be referring to other than America, or am I misreading that?
3: No, I think you're reading it perfectly. You know, nationalism is out. Globalism, or what they call communitarianism, is in. And they they don't believe that God, you know, did what he did in Genesis 11, where he confounded the language at the Tower of Babel and created multiple nations. And to have a nation, you have to have a few things. You've got to have borders, you've got to have a common culture, mm-hmm. you've got to have a common language, and you've got to have a common currency. And what you find with all of these communitarianisms and multilateralists is they don't believe in these things, you know. They don't believe in borders either, which is very hypocritical for the Pope, yeah. you know, since he lives behind a gated, you know, lives behind a wall. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been to Vatican City myself. It's one of the most well-guarded places on planet Earth. But it's this idea that you know, nation, the nation state is done, and we need to sort of, um, you know, cede authority to some kind of transnational or supranational government, which is completely un-American, because then you'd have a government, you know, running your affairs that is not accountable to you via the ballot box, including the power to tax. I mean, America is founded on the idea of no taxation without representation, and world government, you know, violates that.
2: Also, to wrap up his quote, which is fascinating, the, 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 the whole open borders debate comes into play here, Uh, He said, I would like to encourage once again a global communitarian vision with regard to the issue of migration. And then he says that uh, with with urge to attention to be paid to the in the greatest need uh, to those in the greatest need so that in proportion to each country's means they will be migrants, immigrants, they will be welcomed, protected, promoted and integrated. Now. Let's talk about the the each country's means. Do you think they're going to force China? China's one of the most well uh economically strong uh countries in the world. Are they going to force China to, to to take uh in new people? How's that going to work, Andy?
3: No, I I doubt it. China always gets a a pass even in the um, you know, environmental summits. One of the biggest polluters on planet Earth, yep. you know, <laughs> is is suddenly you know, for whatever reason, not brought into the picture or, you know, restrictions on everybody else, but not China, you know, that that goes back to these global environmental conferences going way back. But, you know, it's the whole thing is to take down America and to, you know, force a bunch of people into the United States that don't have United States values. And the goal is to change the voting. Population mm-hmm. and to change the political leadership of a country that will actually take its primary cues from the United Nations and not we the people, and that's the whole name of the game here.
2: Okay, we've got wow, um, seven minutes, eight, <laughs> seven minutes left. This goes by always so fast with you, uh, Andy, and thank you for. I know it takes much research and uh, time and, and diligence to. Gather these important topics and then decide what you're going to cover in your pastor's point of view. So thank you uh, for doing this. Um, So I will ask you what if you want to talk about the simulated cyber attack on the global financial system or if you want to talk about uh, under your heading Gog Magog, the U.S. warships ordered to stay in Mediterranean.
3: Well, you know, this um, simulated cyber attack, you know, that got to my attention. Um, it's an Israel-led 10-country group simulating a major cyber attack on the global financial system in an attempt to increase the cooperation that could help minimize any potential damage to financial markets and banks. Interesting. And I used to look at these sort of simulations as, oh... It's just that they're just kind of war-gaming it, and it's just like playing a game. Well, gosh, my attitude, are changed Since with COVID. Event two, 201, <laughs> where at the end of 2019 in New York City in Event 201, and yes. I'm sure most of your listeners are aware of that, You know, they war-gamed um, by simulation everything that we've experienced over the last two years. So apparently, according to this article, they're war-gaming the... Financial collapse of our system, and we know what they want to bring in mm-hmm. you know um, a one world kind of digital economy, and they want to put us under a social credit system like they have in China, where if you don't play by the rules or if you don't if you post the wrong things on social media or if you go to the wrong kind of church or if you have the wrong kind of political affiliations, then somebody in a smoky back room somewhere, pushes a button, and your economic opportunities in life start to shrink. And that's how they want to control the world's population. And so you can't do that until you destroy the existing global economic system. Mm -hmm. And that's why this simulation of them doing this was very interesting to me. It was interesting that it's 10 nations involved, you know, not 11 and not 9, but 10. (laughs) that's, That's right out of Daniel... 2, and Daniel 7, which predicts a 10-region, ten 10-king ten confederacy of the Antichrist. So I just find these articles very interesting in that, that respect.
2: Yeah, that is a fascinating uh, a, a realization there from the book of Daniel. I also find it quite interesting that the United States is in there with Israel, but also representatives from the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and whenever you get, uh, anyway, just it's it's just really really interesting, and um, glad we're starting to pay attention to more of these things. So, with the, the, for the next five minutes, um, let's talk about the uh, warships ordered to stay in the Mediterranean, uh, because what's going on in Ukraine and Russia?
3: Well, Russia, of course, is always interesting prophetically because there's a famous mi- invasion that's described in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39, yet future. And one of the players involved is Rosh. And when you go back to Gesinius, I think all the way back in 1842, somewhere in there, uh, he was a scholar. scholar, by the way, and in his lexicon he says Rosh is undoubtedly the Russians. And he said that before the communist revolution in Russia in 1917, before um, when Russia was still a, a, you know kind of a Christian Orthodox country, he said that before Russia became a nuclear superpower. And lo and behold, the prophet Ezekiel says, "Keep your eyes on Russia. It's going to become very belligerent and aggressive in the last days." And so here we go again. Here's Russia amassing troops. On the border of the Ukraine, people are wondering, are she going to do some kind of aggressive action like she did in Crimea in 2014 and like how she rolled over neighboring and nearby Georgia 2008? And here we go again. And the Biden administration is sort of contemplating in this article, you know, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to do <laughs> sanctions? Should we keep our warships in the Mediterranean? And so an aggressive and emboldened and hungry Russian bear is something that always jumps out of the headlines at me, because that's what Ezekiel predicted would happen with Russia 2,600 years ago.
2: So I lied, I didn't want to end it on that one. I want to take the last couple <laughs> minutes, Andy, You've okay. got, under creeping totalitarianism. This is phenomenal. Um, Gates, Fauci, and Daszak charged with genocide in court filing. This is fascinating about numerous violations of the Nuremberg Code. I know you're going to cover this Friday and tomorrow, right, in your pastor's point of view? Yes. Uh-huh. Could you give us a bullet point or two on this?
3: Sure. I mean, this, this idea of creeping totalitarianism, it's not just Americans complaining about it. I mean, we started with Christine Anderson in the EU Parliament complaining mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And now you learn that there's a complaint filed, and you can go and download this. Uh, it's 46 pages, basically charging all of these people that have orchestrated all of this COVID stuff with with war crimes, um, and basically violating the um, Nuremberg Code, mm-hmm. which basically wow. said, post Nazi era, you can't you know force people to take experimental drugs. And that's exactly what's happening here with this so-called vaccine. It's not a vaccine, it's an experimental drug because it takes time for side effects to develop. We don't know the full gamut of the side effects because of Operation Warp Speed. And so here is a lawyer uh, and a group of people from the UK, you know, Mm -hmm. filing a complaint with the International Criminal Court to this effect, now, I really doubt that this lawsuit is going to go anywhere because I look at the International Criminal Court as sort of an arm of the United Nations, a globalist organization. But the the mere fact that this complaint was filed, it shows you that people around the world, people that we normally wouldn't expect to come to their senses, are waking up to the fact that totalitarianism, because of COVID, is growing Throughout the planet, and so that's why I included this.
2: Fascinating, and you, you can get more information on that tomorrow, friends. Um, Andy, when will that be posted, or are you airing it on on Facebook or YouTube YouTube Live tomorrow?
3: Yeah, that that's actually a show that we produced um, last week, so I know what's in it. We just haven't posted it yet, okay. and that'll be up uh, on my YouTube channel and Rumble, as you mentioned. Um, yes first thing on Friday.
2: So technically, so. You, you did two shows in one week, technically.
3: Yeah, that's what these <laughs> notes here that we've been reading from rep- represent. Yep. So one show's been posted, and this one that you're talking about is, is, is coming out, uh, I think, tomorrow.
2: Yes, and thank you. I appreciate it. You know, uh, some of our listeners know we've my wife and I are moving. We moved, and we're in the middle of uh, two houses. But anyway, uh, Andy, thank you so much. God bless you, brother. We appreciate your ministry very much.
3: Hey, it's always a joy to be here, David. Thank you for the opportunity.
2: You're most welcome. Tomorrow, Transgender to Transformed. We have Laura Perry with us. But I want to look at next week as well. We've got some power players in the next couple weeks. Heidi St. John, Dr. James Taylor, Jan Markell, John Haller, Natasha Crane, Nathan Jones, and Gary Ka. just in the next uh, uh, week to 10 days. So thank you, guys. God bless you. We appreciate you downloading and sharing the podcast very, very much. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.